Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Good day to you. Nice to be here with you on the first of the month. This is The Call. I'm Nadine Blaney. So over the next hour, we will talk about 10, well, actually 11 stocks in detail with two expert guests. My expert guests being uh, Francesco Destratus from Ordmanet here with me in studio. Hello, How, How are you? you? Good. And Daniel Ortiz, who's joining us from Lincoln Indicators. Hey, Daniel, thanks for joining us. How are you feeling as we start this month of May, Daniel? I mean, I was told by someone on Twitter today to put it to bed, this this myth that we sell in May and go away. Yeah, I'm not too sure about that. Uh, we're starting to see some weakness coming in through the cyclicals through the miners already, which is obviously uh, a negative for our market. So I think there will be a little bit of selling pressure. Um, overall, you know, a lot of the quarterly updates and the updates so far have actually been um, relatively strong. We saw a few in the US as well that are relevant um, for our market coming really strong as well. So I'm probably a little bit still hesitant um, on the hesitant side for the market as well, uh, given that we're seeing some pretty significant weakness in iron ore, but uh, I, don't, I don't think I'm ready to put that phrase to bed just yet. How about you, Francesco? I mean, we have had quite the rally to start 2023, particularly with enthusiasm around global tech and perhaps, perhaps getting near to a pause here from the RBA in terms of rate hikes. Yeah, it's surprising considering the, the, the negative sentiment around economically with the broader, broader macro factors, you know, with the higher inflation, rising interest rates, um, potential economic slowdown in the US, um, you, you'd suspect that the market would um, be a bit, little bit more negative. Um, I'm probably more neutral on the overall market at the moment. Um, still a, probably a bit of a wait and see approach to see uh, where we go locally with interest rates and where interest rates go uh, offshore. We're expecting more rate, uh, rate rises uh, in the US um, and potentially maybe one more here, uh, depending on some of the data factors that come out. But um, yeah, and that's going to, um, I, I suppose, cap any upside on the market. Um, and then from there, we might see some, some positives um, as we start to see an inflection point in interest rates. Okay, so we are on the ready uh, for opportunities. Perhaps they'll come up in this program as well. But um, we started as per usual, uh, by taking a look at the companies that we will be discussing. So Australian Foundation Investment, AFI, is the first company on the list nominated by you, our viewers. Andromeda Metals, as well as Domain, Fortescue, and Yan Cole. So yeah, taking a tour around some of those key commodities, many of which the price is coming under pressure as of late. Um, but the stock of the day is Red Smet, and I'll tell you why. First of all, I asked our viewers what they would like us to cover today. Look, we had a lot of uh, great suggestions, um, but I went with ResMed because it was out with its quarterly to end last week. And even despite a pretty strong quarterly report, which, um, you know, Macquarie referenced, we've got City referencing how strong it is, Morgan's as well, um, we had just a really lackluster reaction to the quarterly update coming through, which did show 248 million US of 
profit. And and this came to me, and this is um, actually stole it from Rudy Filipek van Dyke from FN Arena, another regular guest on the program. And this is a note from Wilson saying investors should take advantage while the market underestimates the permanence of what happened in the U.S. sleep market over the past 12 months. Short-termism on the stock, bemoaning the gross margin impact of success, misses the point. Yes, because there was an adjusted fall in gross profit margin, mostly because of a unfavorable product mix and higher component costs, um, but it was partly offset by price. And I did speak with Mick Farrell, who's the CEO, and said that things are getting a lot easier on the supply front and uh, they expect to continue to be able to grow its market share around the U.S. and rest of the world. Well, today we've got ResMed up by 6%. So I thought it would be good to ask our guests what they make of ResMed. And I will start with you, Francesco, because I do believe Ord Minette has a view. We do. Um, it's an updated view in the wake <laughs> of the result. Um, look, yeah, we're positive on ResMed. Um, we think... Um, well, let's start with just the business. And personally, I think it's a really good business. Um, I was lucky enough to have a side visit um, at their uh, campus at Bella Vista in Sydney a couple of years ago. Um, what really impressed me was the ability for the company to take uh, their ideas um, from from the engineers down to the factory floor, um, and, and, and the incentives that they put in place for their for their their people on the factory floor as well. Um, it's a great industry. Uh, it's a growing industry. It's um, you know sleep apnea is is um, I suppose a, a condition where people if they treat it early, it it it, it reduces. Um, um, other conditions that might come as a result of that. So um, I think the medical uh, fraternity and and uh, people that have the condition are starting to realise that they need to um, look after themselves when they're asleep as well as when they're awake. Um, so love the business, love the uh, industry. Uh, with ResMed, it always comes down to the valuation. Uh, I think that there's good value in it at the moment, although I haven't had a close look at it this morning uh, with the share price up that strong. Uh, it obviously pushes uh, a number of the, the, the fundamentals around. Um, the result that came out last week, uh, normally when uh, ResMed put out a result and, and we see the margins decline, uh, we normally see a bit of sell-off in the stock. Um, both the top line numbers were actually better than expected. So I think the market's looking past those margins and going, well, we, we, you know, we can see down the track that, that those margins could improve. So um, look, we like the stock. I'm happy buying the stock. Need to have a closer look at the numbers after a 6% rise, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, we're, we're very positive on the company. Yeah, an upgrade to accumulate from a hold. City has a buy. We've got Macquarie with an outperform. We've got Morgans with an ad. Daniel Ortiz from Lincoln Indicators. What do you think? Yeah, it's been one of our key picks and a stock we've been really positive on as well. Obviously, Francesco just covered you know the story really well and the result well too. Um, effectively, what we've been looking for specifically in the short term within the market are stocks that we believe are probably um, you know if not the competitive leader then one of the the competitive leaders in their field and also have some form of um underlying earnings tailwind and and resmid uh have been ticking that box for quite a long time um so we have been very very positive on the stock leading into the result and and yeah fortunately um it was a cracker result just just similar comment on that wilson note um 
you did have a, a gross profit margin under performance due to the sales mix. So device revenue was a little bit stronger um, than consumables revenue. But obviously, device revenue is a form of leading indicator into future consumable sales. So we don't think that's too much of a negative. In fact, that's probably why the stock has opened up pretty strongly today because that would have been um, well digested in the in the US and well understood. Uh, we're probably a little bit more negative on initial results in, in Australia than the US are. So um, I think that's that's one aspect of the, the stock as well, which t- uh, leads to future performance. Uh, obviously, we, we really rate highly. So yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great stock and um, it does give you opportunities to buy it at lower prices. So if you don't own it now, certainly keep it on the watch list um, because when it does pull back, you know it's a fantastic business for the long run so you are not buying today because you reckon you could get it cheaper well we've been we've been buying it pretty um we've been you know pretty positive on it in the lead up so i don't think we'd be we'd be calling it a buy right now but like i mentioned you know this stock will give you an opportunity to, to get in at, at a cheaper price um, because it's not, you know, a six-month story. It's a it's a an industry with a very long-term tailwind, uh, and they're they're very clearly the industry leader. And I think that Philips recall story will probably um, take longer than than most people have expected, and it's actually been delayed, you know, multiple times now. So uh, that's that's it's a story that will have growth for for many many years. Yeah. It's- particularly because once you buy one of these machines and you get into the cloud and uh, yeah. it's it's difficult or why would you sort of change just because Philips exactly. gets it back together. All right, so we will uh, not be able to call that a double buy though because Daniel would like to get it a little bit cheaper. Let's get to the first question on the list. This is for Mike from Australian Foundation Investment. Um, so AFI is the ticker code. Look, this is one of those Um, listed investment company. So it's an LIC. So it invests and manages a portfolio of Australian equity holdings. So, I mean, what do you sort of think of what, when it comes to these LICs? I mean, you can get some exposure. Look, I suppose they're competing with um, um, exchange traded funds these days, where an exchange traded fund will basically buy the index um, and these listed investment companies, uh, most of them are going to try and get outperform an index. Mm-hmm. So, so if you can look at it that way, um, you can say that um, ultimately you're putting your faith in the underlying manager. Uh, look, this this company hasn't been too bad, although it has underperformed uh, the benchmark over sort of two, three, you know, years. Um, so, so I'd 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 question their performance at this stage. It has been around for a long time. Um, it, it's MERs very low at 0.16 of a percent. It's got $8.8 billion. The benchmark is the ASX um, um, 200 accumulation index, so it includes the dividends. Um, Its NTA at the moment is $7.10 at the end of March, um, and I think it's trading at $7.22. There you go. Um, So obviously that that's the end of March. Not sure what the end of NTA is at the end of this month. Obviously, that'll come out very shortly. Um, look, if, you, if you're trying to just get market exposure, I, I, I prefer um, an exchange-traded fund that, that, that replicates the ASX 200. Um, so, look, 
this trades at above its NTA, I'd be happy selling it to to buy that. I mean, ultimately, you're talking to a broker where, mm-hmm. I mean, our job is to um, try and uh, perform better than the market for, for clients. So, um, you know, we tend not to advise people be using these unless it's a small portfolio or some people have an affiliation with the fund manager as well. Yeah. I mean, it's like me asking fundies that come on whether or not they sh- should invest in a another fund manager. Yeah. So, <laughs> Daniel, let's uh, get your view on this LIC in particular, Australian Foundation uh, investment and the point about the NTA isn't it correct that you want to buy these things when they're trading below their NTA well certainly if you can buy you know a dollar worth of assets for 90 cents it's a plus but a lot of the times it's really almost like a marketing um, effect that you're paying for so typically you know this is one of the biggest LICs on the market obviously you know the Wilson's um, brand have a few LICs that typically trade at a premium as well it's it's sometimes it can be due to performance but as we just viewed with um, with AFI you know they've actually been underperforming and they're still trade at a premium so yeah you, you really got to question why you'd be essentially buying this ETF if you did want to buy it, but also understand the different structures of vehicles. So obviously, um, LICs, they're they're close-ended, so you're going to have to, if you want to enter this vehicle, you're going to have to buy the shares of someone else, Um, unlike an open-ended ETF, which is probably our preference. If you do want to invest passively in the Aussie market, you know, it'd be hard not to justify just an open-ended index ETF here. Um, But if you are looking for some diverse exposure or some specific um, exposure away from, you know, traditional ASX index weighted um, equities, then you want an active manager who's going to invest you know, in, in almost like a benchmark unaware form of investing. So AFI, they, they do have a very similar index weight. Obviously, if you look at the top 10 stocks or top 20 stocks they hold, very, very similar names to the top 20 that, you know, just be just be held by the market cap weighted index. So if you are going to look for an active manager, then, you know, you want some t- form of differential. Um, otherwise, it's very hard to justify, you know, investing in something like this rather than just a, a pure open-ended passive ETF. So yeah, we, we probably wouldn't be very positive on this, but understand that, you know, there's there's a lot of investors that have probably held this for a long time, have tax implications as well. So it obviously comes back to their personal preference in this stock. Yeah, well, you did have my job for me just reminding viewers that this is not financial advice. This <laughs> is information only. There we go. Let's move on from that then and get to Andromeda Metals. ADN is the ticker code. This is for Zena who says, um, look, it's had a run up and a fairly spectacular crash. Is there any hope for the future? Daniel, I'll start with you on this one. Yeah, I actually remember following the story. Um, It's probably one of the more um, discussed stocks on the ASX a few few months ago when it was trading around 40 cents, so obviously significantly above where it is now. Um, They have a a Kowloon project, which is almost like just a heavy mineral or an industrial mineral, which is typically used in things like porcelain uh, and ceramics. And and the company actually flags that it's used in more high-tech um, uh, procedures, but in reality, it's it's you know not a very um, a fashionable kind of uh, industry to be in, to be honest. Uh, and there was a lot of red flags um, when I was looking through the company um, a few months ago. And one of the biggest ones was I think they were they were flagging, you know, essentially in their DFS or the the feasibility studies, you know, a lot of um, uh, sales assumptions of pricing that was higher than the current benchmark pricing, which was obviously a, a very big concern from our point of view. And um, 
you know, management just seemed overly optimistic around around the amount of tons they could sell as well, because this is probably the type of product where you need commercial offtake partners. You know, you're not going to sell it into a, a spot market. It's a very, um, you know, industrialized product, and and not sure they even had the the uh, the customer the customer contracts and and kind of offtake agreements in place. So there was just a lot of red flags, and you had some director selling. and And the biggest tipping point for me was there's something in in mining called the Lassonde curve, which is essentially um, uh, almost like the life cycle of a of a mining business. And they actually put the Lassonde curve in their presentation. Uh, and grafted against their own share price and, and drew a red line pointing upwards of their own share price, which I, I just thought was was bizarre. Like it's it was extremely, you know, marketing material and, and something that is not uh, representative of a really great product, a really great business. So as, a, as someone who's covering the mining sector, there, there weren't really, really many attractive um, propositions in this stock. And yeah, we, it, clearly we wouldn't be owning this and uh, we would have been out of it a long time ago if any clients came to us asking any questions about this stock. It's one we'd stay very far away from. Again, that is very clear, avoid or a sell. Um, Francesco, are you listening into that? Yeah. Um, I believe this would be too oh, look, small I, for you anyways. Yeah, way too small for, for, for what I look at. I, I had a brief look at it. Um, Daniel really gave a good overview there. Um, it does have a number of projects, but there's only one, that, and it's not even at production stage, so it's only at approval stage, so there's a long way to go. Uh, they're sitting on about $19.5 million on the balance sheet and burning about two million uh, a quarter so uh, yeah you know you've got a few years left of cash um i dare say if they go if they get through their approvals and they go to production they're gonna have to raise a lot more money unless um uh, unless they go into some sort of joint venture Mm -hmm. or or off-take arrangements um look you know i wouldn't be buying it definitely not um if i owned it and i bought it let's say 40 cents where it was um, you've really, really taken the pain already. Um, you know, unless you need the capital losses coming into the end of the financial year, you might just hang on to it because it's probably not worth, you know, even the sale price. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, and the fees associated. Um, I shouldn't laugh. It's not funny when people are losing money, but I mean, uh, ultimately, you, when you're in a situation, you've got to look forward and you've got to think about, well, what's the best for? Me? How can I, you know, get the minimize best, the pain? Yeah. Minimize the pain or get the best out of it. Sometimes just realizing a capital loss when you've got tax gains. For mm-hmm. the end of the financial year can be useful um, or it's one of those ones that's only worth very very small amount of your portfolio so it's not really going to have any impact unless it does some sort of um, you know astronomical gains mm. uh, and then you can look at it and say well I've got a 10 bagger or something like that but that's all you're looking at yeah all right yeah. that's a bit of a roll of the dice all right that is Andromeda Metals let's get on to a bigger company that uh, we all know, and we've just had uh, data out today showing that house prices are on the up for the fourth consecutive month. Uh, this is Domain Group, DHG, picked by Les. I'll start with you on this one, Francesco. What do you think? Yeah, not a fan. We've got a light on it, um, and I agree with that. Um, look, it engages in real estate, media, and, and, and technology of services, and, and really it's... It, basically in Australia. So, you know, it's focused on the Aussie market, does have a strong competitor in realestate.com. I'd say, yes, there's been a bit of a glimmer of hope in the real estate sector where prices have risen a little bit, but with this sort of business, you're going to be looking at volume as well, uh, more so than than the rise in 
prices, and I think it's only just a, a small blip in, in, in a change, uh, particularly with rates where they are. Banks aren't going to be reducing them in a hurry, that's for sure. So I think there's going to be a lot less turnover. Um, it trades on extremely high multiples, um, so I would be uh, lightning. Um, on the you know on the other side, do you go? You know, if you're looking at exposure to this, um, mm-hmm. I would prefer realestate.com. But again, we we were enlightened on that one as well. The only reason I say that is it's got that global um, diversification, yeah. if you like. It's still exposed to the one uh, industry. If you you know with with real estate, although realestate.com does have a, a number of others. Um, but to, to me, uh, you don't need to be in this area, and they both trade on significantly high PE multiples, um, and I don't think you need to be there at the moment. Thank you. All right, let's get a view on domain from Daniel Ortizzi from the Stock Doctor at Lincoln Indicators. Um, look, there's not a lot of ways to gain exposure to tech, and you know that we love our property, so are you able or willing to look through, well, what Francesca reckons is a pretty high valuation? Uh, I think for domain, not really. I mean, since it listed, it's never really been an outperformer in terms of its its PL statement or its general financial returns. It's it's always seemed to lag pretty significantly to the amount of profitability that REA has, and and it makes sense because you know they they're more in the the growth phase of their own business cycle. Um, and the issue with that is that when you head into a, a cyclical downturn like we're in now have a lot less control over the cost base and their margins than say REA do so I think historically they've had almost three to four times the drawdown in profitability or essentially downside leverage um, than REA has so the sell-off is is very very um, well well informed and well due because there has been a significant drawdown in the profitability of this business and one thing that actually concerns me and doesn't really ever get spoken about with this business is, is it has about 170 million dollars of net debt. Um, now the maturity profile is a few years out, so thankfully you know it's it's not an an immediate um, repayment profile, or they'd have to probably um, you know uh, uh, refinance that at, at a pretty low rate, uh, pretty low um, terms there. But uh, that's a significant amount of debt for this business when you put into to in prospect its cash flows and profitability. So I actually think there's probably more downside to come uh, if you looking to get into the the industry you know I'd, I'd hard find it hard to justify why you choose domain over rea the only reason would be is it trades at some form of a discount um but you know the discounts warranted and you see that in in other industries not just property when you have the the number two or number three traded a discount to the market leader so i find it very hard to, to get attracted um to this stock at these levels and and yeah very concerned with that that debt profile as well because mm. it's not a small amount Okay, so that would be, would you hold it if you already had it or would you look to sell? Daniel? I think even at these prices, you could probably look to sell because the downside um, to their to their profitability is still there. I think you know the the market tends to be supportive of this stock because you know Australians do love property, and like you said, Nadine, we're we're light on tech stocks in general on the ASX, so people tend to be um, positive on this stock, and I think it has the potential to disappoint um, at its next result because it's still cutting out costs from their recent acquisition as well. So you know I don't see a, a great upside result coming in the near term. Got it. Thank you. All right, let's get to number. Number four on the list. This is for Michael. Uh, look, not a lot of context given by Michael, but um, well, it's it's sort of in the business of iron ore. Fortescue Metals is the company. FMG. Daniel, I'll start with you on this one. Uh, given your interest in the mining space in particular, but uh, also 
I mean, yeah, it, we, we learned in its most recent quarterly that it is now breaking out and updating on Fortescue future industries. Is that a plus to you or is that a negative? Well, the improved governance, I think, is a major plus because there's been a lot of question marks from analysts, you know, just essentially not knowing how the capital is going to be committed um, and how the projects are developing. And there's still a lot of um, uh, uncertainty on the capital commitment pipeline as well. So I will point that out there. I think they still have a long way to go in terms of disclosures to make that very clear um, for any investors and analysts covering the stock. But overall, when it comes to Fortescue, you have to look at the the iron ore market. Uh, And, you know, we're, we're probably a little bit bearish on iron ore and and bearish on China potentially as a whole. So I think that sums up our view on Fortescue quite nicely. They've actually been showing quite strong operational results. So from a shipments, um, production and cash cost perspective, Fortescue has actually been doing a great job. Um, But the fact that we're probably a little bit bearish on iron ore um, and you've actually seen prices come down from that 121.30 mark back to 100 uh, and, and Fortescue hasn't really um, faced that, that leverage fall to the downside. And the reason why is because you've actually seen um, steel mills in China favoring low-grade iron ore. So that the price discount gap that Fortescue typically receives has narrowed quite a bit, which has actually protected them uh, from the overall price fall. And, and whilst that might be a positive in the near term, you know, over the long term, that will unwind because we are heading um, to a more uh, a pure um, steel market. And, and certainly from a, 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 a ESG perspective as well, um, you know, the premiums will come back into pricing. So overall, we're, we're negative on a few areas of Fortescue and don't think it's in the share price at the moment. So we'd be looking to sell and and, uh, and probably be a little bit more defensive. Okay. Why can I just ask as a little sidetrack, why are you negative on China overall? Yeah, essentially, when it comes to iron ore, there are talks at the moment um, of whether China will limit steel production um, as a as a result of some of their economic um, containment. So they're, they're talking about potentially limiting production to about a four or five percent um fall of rise from last year and they're running well ahead of that at the run rate at the moment so if they were to enact that as a policy um, obviously steel production and therefore iron ore demand would have to come back quite significantly and we've also got this second dynamic playing out like i mentioned of, of what's going on in the margin and there's actually a great piece on this in the AFR recently, the fact that steel mills, um, you know, are, are making essentially no margin in China at the moment, hence why they're favouring the lower grade product because it's cheaper uh, for them to buy, uh, and essentially it's a it's a cost saving mechanism rather than a profit maximisation um, mechanism. So we think that some of these terms which have actually been favourable uh, for Fortescue are likely to unwind uh, and probably in the long term benefit more higher grade players like you've got mm-hmm. um, BHP which are leading towards a, a higher grade product. You've also got players like Champion Iron Ore which have a really high grade pelletized product um, which I think is, is at a lot more of attractive valuation than Fortescue at the moment. Uh, so yeah, you've got this kind of difference uh, in the long term iron ore market which I think is probably being underappreciated at the moment. Got it. Um, great. Daniel, uh, Francesco, do you see it any differently for Fortescue? I mean, Daniel's no. selling. We, yeah, we, we've got a lot in recommendation. I'd agree with that. Um, and, and look, you know, prefer, you know, because of their high cost production, um, it, you tend to sort of get 
margins squeezed quicker with the higher cost production. Um, and then on the flip side, if, if I mean, if, if any investor out there believes that the iron ore price is going back up, um, then you're probably best um, in Fortescue. But um, where with Daniel, we, we don't think um, the iron ore price is going to be um, above $100 uh, for the long term. Um, so we see it coming back. Um, there's not much more I could add. Daniel added um, a great deal of value there. Um, but um, look, if, you, if you're looking for iron ore uh, and you want to take the risky play and you think that the iron ore price is going to rise, um, um, then then I think Fortescue is fine. Um, but if if you want to take the lower risk, um, um, we prefer BHP or Rio in those respects. And we don't have buys on those either. We're just um, neutral on those at the moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, interesting. There you go. Sell for Fortescue. Let's find out if there is a different view on a different commodity. I'll start with you, Francesca, for Francesco, excuse me, for Yen Coal. Y-A-L is the ticker code. This is for Mick. I'm hungry, Francesco. Um, I'm, I'm <laughs> it is lunchtime, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> What do you think about Yan Coal? Look, I don't know a lot about Yan Coal, but I, I, I have focused on coal a little bit in recent times. Um, look, as far as the coal sector goes, uh, on the thermal side of things, I, I think there's still um, strong demand uh, for, for thermal coal, uh, despite what um, you might read in the papers on, on the uh, environmental side of things. Um, you know, the Germans... Um, shut down all their um, uh, nuclear power stations and uh, then realised they didn't have baseload power so they had to open up some coal-fired mm-hmm. power stations. Um, and, and then there was the issue around um, you know, the, 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 the war in the Ukraine and, and the Russian coal exports. So that pushed coal prices up you know, around $400 or over $400 there for a while. They've come back significantly now. Um, but, you know, where they stay, I, I think they'll probably hold around these levels, maybe just a slightly lower. Um, and if I'm looking at thermal coal, I'm going to prefer Whitehaven coal the, over over Yen coal. Uh, if I look at a metallurgical, which I think um, Yen coal do a bit of both, um, you know, Stanmore Resources is probably more favourable for us. Um, but as you've just heard that, um, you know, metallurgical coal... Um, as you've just heard, that the steel production expectations are they're going to be a bit tighter and a bit lower in, in China, um, then the demand for metallurgical coal will come back as well because obviously that's that's what it's used for. So, um, um, look, not a fan of Yan Coal, don't know enough about it to say mm-hmm. buy, sell or hold, but um, you would prefer Whitehaven on the thermal side of things. Uh, and if you are positive on the metallurgical stem wall resources, it would be a preference on that. Is your favourite commodity, and I'm going by memory, still copper? At the moment, yes. It hasn't done what we think, thought it would, but um, you know, it's come back from about nine thousand a ton down to about eight and a half now. I think it is. Um, but we're still we're still looking at that and thinking mm-hmm. that, that there's some positives there, particularly uh, around the use in in um, you know, the change into electric vehicles and um, um, you know, the potential for China to be upgrading their 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 grids um, uses a lot of copper. Got it. Thank you. All right, let's uh, rewind. Go to Yen Coal. It also produces coking coal. Um, and the coking coal price, Daniel, is back to where it was in January 2021. So again, is this a price? Uh, you know, price conundrum for you when you're thinking buy, hold, sell for Yen Coal? Um, probably on the metallurgical coal side, not 
as much because I think it's um, they probably produce about 85 to 90 percent of their production base is thermal coal, so it's a much smaller part of their sales mix. Um, but when I think about Yan Coal, and it's probably a stock that not many people, you know, are really familiar with because it's uh, it, before the last six months where coal stocks just went ballistic, it was rarely traded. Uh, it's primary listings in Hong Kong, and it's majority owned um, by a Chinese parent company as well. So there's not much coverage of the stock. Um, not many people are familiar um, really with the assets as well. So a lot of their assets assets actually came from Rio Tinto um, when they were um, divesting a lot of their thermal coal exposures in in, in the Hunter Valley region. Um, So they actually have a pretty good quality asset base. And one thing about Yan Coal is it trades relatively the same market cap uh, as Whitehaven, but it actually produces double the amount of coal. So I think that's why recently you've seen the likes of a Whitehaven pullback from about 11 bucks to, to six or seven, but you've seen Yan Coal be quite steady. It actually has more valuation support there because it does produce a lot more of the material. So even though prices are falling, um, their, their profits are actually still really, really strong. Uh, and as well with Yan Coal, it actually produces a, a lower grade or, or a lower energy density coal. So the price realization is a little bit um, below the benchmark there when you compare it to Whitehaven. But the thing which really surprised me is that this, this business made about seven to $8 billion in profit <laughs> over the last 12 months. And that's its market cap at the moment it's paid down you know over three billion dollars three billion aussie dollars in debt over the last 12 months so it was a stock that we would have never been anywhere near due to that debt burden but they've paid all of it down and now it's in a really interesting position where you know they still have a pretty quality asset base thermal coal prices are still quite high above you know 200 us a ton you know their margins are, are pretty good and and um they're, they're sitting on this massive cash pile which they're looking at the BHP um, assets that they're, they're looking to divest as well. So I think they're probably in the front seat um, to acquire those. Um, but I think Yanko is probably one of the more interesting players in the market, um, probably above Whitehaven for my liking at the moment. So I might give it a, a bit of a almost, you know, you can't really call it a speculative buy because it's a, it's a larger company, but perhaps a bit of a nibble, um, the old call nibble, I might, I might give it a rating here because I think profits and dividends will, will continue to flow from this stock. Mm-hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Well, let's uh, just take a bit of a breather and I'll get our viewers across what we've learned so far. So ResMed was a pick by one of my followers on Twitter for the stock of the day. Thanks for that. But it does come in the wake of its quarterly, a quarterly that was pretty solid by most accounts, but the market was underwhelmed on Friday with it. However, Francesco is um, positive on the stock, but he just, you know, be careful. There was a 6% rise in its price today. So valuation buying today might be uh, not the time, but he does believe that it's a very, very good business. Uh, it is a, again, quality business in the eyes of Dan Ortizzi, but he reckons you'll be able to get it cheaper after the pop today. So just keep this one on your watch list. Hold if you're in it, of course, but try to get in at a bit of a cheaper price. He says it was a cracker result. Okay, that brings us to the companies that have been listed by you. So Australian Foundation Investment, AFI. Francesco's a broker. He doesn't reckon he need to be in an LIC, but he also points that it trades above its NTA. He's got a hold on that. He prefers ETFs if you're looking for broad exposure to the index. Um, Daniel says, what's its advantage? What's its edge? So he would not be buying it. He would hold it if you're already in it. If you've got you know particular reasons while you're in it and you don't want to sell and uh, crystallize some of those gains, perhaps. And that's some of the thinking around... Um, 
Francesco's call on Andromeda Metals. It's it's not advice, but he's saying strategically, if you've if you've worn so much of the pain, you may just want to hold on to it. Of course, dependent on your particular circumstances. Otherwise, though, he wouldn't be buying into it. It's been a bit of a money trap, and it's a total avoid, total sell for Daniel Ortizzi at Lincoln Indicators. Um, domain, it's a lighten or a sell. Both of my guests agree. It's pretty expensive for what it is. And both would prefer REA Group in that space. But again, you know, it's what you're paying for at this time. Uh, Fortescue, it's a sell and a lighten. Both of my guests again agreeing on this one. Daniel just doesn't really um, believe that there is more upside for the iron ore price. In fact, he's quite bearish on iron ore and China, in fact. And um, yeah, uh, Francesco did not disagree. And you just heard Daniel say that he'd have a little bit of a nibble at uh, Yen Coal, the old call nibble. Um, but Francesco would prefer Whitehaven Coal or Stanmore if he would like to gain exposure to coal. But he's just not in a position to recommend Yen Coal. All right. So that's it. That's where we are. Guess what? We've got our investment committee being released tomorrow. The latest episode will drop tomorrow after the market close. So let's just review where we started the month. So started the month of April. Uh, we removed New Century. We added WiseTech. We increased the weightings of West Farmers and Macquarie by 2% apiece. And we added another 1.5% to Boss. We spent about 7% of our cash. Let's check in on the performance. It's up by 9.2% on a cumulative return basis since the inception on March 1st, 2022. Uh, so yeah, tomorrow, just after four, you can go online and watch and or watch on demand the latest edition of the investment committee. So you just got over a year. Yeah. Uh, Phoenix Resources. FEX is the ticker code is coming up. Hanson Tech as well. Calix. Argo Investments and Australian Clinical Labs, ACL. So let's uh, get to it, shall we? This is for Mahal. This is Fenix Resources. This is Iron Ore. Daniel, um, does it change your view at all because it is a producer? Also, Fenix recently became a mover of its own product. It got into logistics. So is this attractive to you in that space? Uh, look, uh, I think this is another one you can put on the watch list, um, but it, it produces about 1.3 million tonnes a year of iron ore, and it's it's uh, it's essentially a direct shipping operation. So, you know, they're, they're literally digging this up out of the ground, putting it on the truck straight to the port. So there's no further um, uh, washing or anything of, of the product. Uh, and you've got to give credit to management here. I mean, I remember when this was first getting started in 2020, and I was thinking, geez, this is a risky operation. Given that they're about 400 kilometers away from the port, uh, and they don't have no existing infrastructure, so they have to essentially truck the thing, truck the rock the whole way. You know, I was very skeptical on whether they'd be able to execute, and, and they have, and they've done a great job for shareholders. Uh, the, the chart probably doesn't do it justice, but they've paid quite a bit in dividends as well. Uh, but like I've mentioned, from here on now, you've got to think, what to the next 12 months look like and obviously if we're not very positive on iron ore you probably wouldn't be positive on a on a high cost um almost minnow of a producer but certainly put just put this on the watch list because they have about 50 mil oh, i think 70 mil in the bank after the last quarter um now the next quarter won't look as good because iron ore prices have retraced um but management have been have been making really good steps i think it made a lot of sense to acquire their whole and logistics partner um now they did have to pay 
a pretty good price for that. Um, so obviously we'll detract um, in the medium term from returns. Um, but I think this is one you can definitely put on the watch list and, and it does a lot of a better job than some of the other smaller tier producers in the iron ore market out there. So for me at the moment, I, I'd probably be more inclined to sell it because I think if you hear if you have iron ore price detractions, you know this will be impacted pretty significantly. Um, but certainly, you know, added on the watch list. Okay, we will do that. So sell if you've got it, but put on the watch list for that pullback to get into a good operator yeah. when the iron the ore high, price rises. High cost producers, you know, the the downside risk is is very very strong when it comes to commodity prices. So you know, if you're a BHP, the price can go down twenty percent. You're still going to make a profit, but if you're uh, a Phoenix Resources, if the price goes down twenty percent from here, you're suddenly in a loss making operation, which you know, very obviously very bad for for their equity equity price. Um, so that's why you don't want to take that downside risk. For me at the moment, the clear pick in iron ore is Terra Royalties because it has the most downside protection uh, and it's growing as well. So uh, I think it's very hard to pass up that when when you've got these opportunities in the market. Okay, thank you. All right, let's get a view from Francesco De Stratus on Phoenix. Yeah, look, I'm with Daniel. I mean, I, we don't know a lot. I don't know a lot about the stock, and and we don't have any coverage on it. But I'd be the same. I'd be lightning. Um, you know, same reasons we used mm-hmm. on Fortescue. You know, the, the the price of the iron ore we feel will be declining um, in the near term, and and they wouldn't be they would be exposed to that. And I, I dare say, the market would. Um, if the iron ore price had, had you know had a, had a steep fall, um, the market would you know crucify the smaller ones over the bigger ones. So I dare say that it would get hit pretty hard. Um, the other thing with the trucking business, I'd, I don't look. I haven't looked into that. I'd need to look into that and see who you know are they you know, providing services to other mines, um, or is it just that they no one else would truck the the ore out for them and they had to do it themselves? Um, no, I think it was more a strategic move. Yeah, yeah. well. You know, you, you're either a miner or a trucker, one or the other. <laughs> um, so, yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm at a light and I, could, I couldn't add much more. Dan, Daniel okay. would know a lot more about that space than I would. Thanks. Let's get to the next one on our list. This is Henson Technology, HSN. This is for Liz. Hi, Liz. Hope you're watching or listening. Thank you for submitting your question because we don't have a lot of tech names as we've already touched no. upon. This is small cap tech. Small cap tech has been a very difficult place to be, Francesco. Yeah, yeah. But I do note that Shaw's has a buy on it. UBS has a buy. Morgan Stanley, overweight, Ordmanet has a buy well, as well. Yes, we do. And look, you know, you, you mentioned earlier with um, domain and real estate as being tech stocks. I, I tend not to consider them okay. to be tech, even though they fit into that category. Yeah. They're probably more uh, marketing type businesses because they just use technology to deliver their mm-hmm. services, really. Fair comment, you know, yeah. a, a bit like a buy now, pay later. They're a finance company that deli- uses technology yeah. to deliver their their service. Where Hanson, I believe, is is more in in that space as being a technology company with, you know, supporting billing systems and software for, um, billing uh, billing software for energy companies and utilities and that. Um, and, and look, you know, there's a lot of leverage in this sort of business, so you know, I like it. Um, I, uh, you know, what they what they what their um, their ability to, to to leverage off volume, mm-hmm. uh, I suppose. Um, you know, it trades on about 17 times, which for a IT company is pretty low. Um, but that being said, a lot of the small cap 
um, IT companies have been hit hard recently. So maybe it's an opportunity for people to go, hang on, I'm getting this at reasonably good valuation. Um, you know, you're not in these sort of things for the dividends, but you know, two and a half percent dividend yield is reasonably attractive for for a tech stock like this. And you know, it's only twenty percent frank, but that's okay. Um, but yeah, look, we we like the stock, and I, I you know, it's a buy. Um, it is, you know, it's not a big tech company, but it's um, you know, I think there's some opportunities there for more growth. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, there's been a few recent contract wins. Um, you know, looking at uh, margins potentially improving from here, potentially even a bit of M&A. Uh, Daniel, what do you think of Hanson Technologies? What do you think about the prospect for M&A? Yeah, this is another stock we like as well. We, we'd call this a buy and, and we owned it. Um, very similar reasons why we like it to what Francesco said. So it's a very sticky um, software business in billing, has some of the lowest churn. If you look at software products across the market, um, this and Objective Corp have some of the lowest churn uh, across the board. But on the flip side, and the reason why the valuation is so depressed uh, is because revenue growth is so uh, minimal. I think revenue grew about 1% or 2% um, at its lease and result. And obviously, dealing with cost inflation, costs grew 5 to 6%. So profit margins were crunched a little bit. But man- Management commentary was certainly over the longer term. They're looking to get margins back up, uh, and like you said, Nadine, this is uh, very much an M&A story. So, the Hanson um, way of doing things is, is very, very conservative. So they're not going to overpay for any acquisitions. They, they, you know, they don't like to waste script or, or waste um, capital. They're going to be very disciplined, and when they do buy something, you know, they want to buy it at a, a fair or reasonable price. So I think that's probably what's going to support it in the near term. The market is really looking for this um, stock to reengage agent M&A to, to help kick off that growth engine again. Um, but we really like it. It's a, it's a defensive conservative business. And in this type of market environment, you know, I, I couldn't think of anything better to have something defensive and conservative. So yeah, it's a, it's a buy from us. Okay. So that's two buys that will be going to the investment committee, but it didn't make it in this month. Uh, we'll do it the next month. All right, let's get to the next company on our list. And this is Calix. And if I'm not mistaken, I've interviewed the CEO before, and uh, I think their their tagline is because Mars is for quitters or something like that, as it looks to use technology to, I suppose, improve our lot of light, uh, life here on Earth. Uh, do you know Calix? CXL is the ticker code for Brian Daniel. Yeah, it's not one we've followed closely because it's not the type of stock that we typically look at at Stock Doctor. It's probably a little bit too early stage um, in its business cycle, but it's very interesting technology, obviously, in that it um, playing off the decarbonization thematic. So they have a essentially a, a technology in kilns which looks to reduce um, emissions for things like cement manufacturing, which you know is a, is a, a massive. Um, market cement manufacturing is one of the most heavily produced things on on the planet so obviously it's a really interesting technology and and they've actually got some kilns in early stage i believe in europe and it seems to be that they're actually bringing some revenue in so you know a lot of credit to these guys but i think heading into the next 12 24 months you know i'm not familiar enough with the business to know whether they will need to be you know, achieving more finance or whether they're able to bootstrap things. It looks like they're heading more down the path of partnerships and joint ventures and even licensing technology with an agreement um, in the early stages with Pilbara. So it looks like they're doing all the right things, um, but we're just probably not sure that the market environment is conducive for a stock like this right now. So this is probably another um, watch list candidate for us. Um, but at the moment, just because we're not sure on, on whether it'll, it'll be able to sustain its projects for the next 12, 
um, 18 months and whether it might need to raise capital or not, we probably wouldn't want to be in it just for that risk, but certainly a really interesting story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's the thing, Francesco, Daniel, you sort of stole the words out of my mouth, is that um, sometimes you want to invest in a narrative, in a story, because it's hitting all the marks. You know, it's ESG, it's doing good, uh, you know, it's technology, exporting to the world, all of those sort of themes that make you feel Feel good good about investing into a company. But how does a company have to pass, you know, your filters or, you know, what does it have to achieve? For for me, it's got to make some money. Yeah, and so that's it. (laughs) Um, Look, and and I get all that, you know, the feel-good stocks and all that sort of stuff. But you don't invest in stories. I would, no, not not just, yeah, I won't invest in a story. I'll look deeper into it and go, well, hang on. It's a great story. And and look, you know, as as Daniel said, it'll go on a watch list and, and, and rightly so. Uh, but I look at this and, and look at the um, you know the last couple of years of you know, revenues grew over 19, 20, 21, but then now they've started to flatten out a bit. Um, you know, profits have in, uh, sorry losses have increased. Um, their their EPS has, has declined significantly. So so I, I you know and, and I get that the, you've got to invest a lot of time and money into. Um, the the technology and 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 the processes that they're involved in, um, you know, this is CO two mitigation, water, um, wastewater solutions, um, biotech. So so I get that there's a lot of investment in there, but that's where it'd be okay. Let's have a deeper look and see where okay, what's the inflection point from it becoming a uh, a company that is developing technologies to a company that actually is starting to. Um, earn significant revenues and make significant profits. So there's the the point where I would be starting to think about investing rather than um, these early days by Mm -hmm. the looks of things. I mean, it's not a small company either. Look, on the scheme of things, when you look at a company that's sort of, you know, know, I think it's only making about 20 million a year in revenue, um, it's got a market cap of 855 million. To me, that's stretching the friendship a bit. Mm-hmm. On a price value. Okay. So that is Kalex. It's a no for Francesco Destratus from Ord Minette. Let's get to the next company on the list. And this is Argo Investments for Olivia ARG. Look, I feel like we're back to stock number one we are. on the list. I looked at it yeah. and I thought, uh, maybe we should have grouped those together. <laughs> yeah, okay. So what do you think, Francesco? Uh, look, any, uh, any burning desire to get this for your clients? Uh, no, 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 not for my clients. Uh, unless, <laughs> look, unless unless you've got a, a, an investor that, that has a small amount of money and want to get, you need to get diversification. And if you don't have the resources in your, in your portfolio, then this is a way of getting diversification. Um, but again, I'd go back to, if I was going to buy something like this, I would, I would go, well, I can buy an exchange traded fund. It's actually going to replicate the, 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 the benchmark that I'm looking for. Um, and I don't need to take the risk of uh, uh, someone's taking, you know, the choices of, of what to invest in. Um, but that being said, this, 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 this LIC has been around since 1946. Yes. So it's got a long history. Um, it's performance, again, similar to um, AFI, you know, over one year, two years, three years, is still underperforming the, the benchmark that I can see. Um, it's trading pretty much at its NTA. Um, you know, it's $6.7 billion of, of assets. Its MER is, is 0.16, so it's not an expensive uh, manager. Um, obviously, with the, the size of funds under management, it, um, it, it you know, can afford to be a little mm-hmm. bit lower than, than the market. Look, with LICs, 
a lot of them come into the market with a lot of um, pizzazz, if you like, and, and having some sort of niche that they think that they're going to have over someone else. Um, all the LICs I've seen come on the market in the last, say, five to ten years have all come on the market and traded below their NTA. And it's only until they get some sort of track record, like these ones have been mm-hmm. around for a long time, do they actually trade at or above the NTA. Um, but if they're underperforming their benchmark, I, I, I don't understand why they're trading above their NTO. Um, but yeah, again, I go back to, look, if you own it, look, it's fine. It, you know, mm-hmm. They've been around for a long time. Your assets are relatively safe in, in, in that you know it's not going to um, fall apart, mm-hmm. if you know, know what I mean. Uh, but if you're looking to invest some funds and you, you don't want to muck around choosing your stocks um, and um, you, you, know, you just want to basically by the index, then I think an exchange traded fund is more effective these days. Got it. Uh, this is for Olivia. Uh, Daniel, do you feel any differently? Do you have anything to add for Argo? No, not too much to add. I, I probably spent a little bit too much time on the mining company, so I'll spend less time on this one <laughs> and, and give it a sell. Uh, and just look at its 10-year performance. Uh, it's, it's actually even below the benchmark in a more significant way than, than AFI. So I'd be giving it a, a big sell. Okay, got it. Sell and uh, a very lukewarm old, I think you could call that from Francesco. Let's get to the last company on the list. This is for Laura. Hi, Laura. Nice to have you listening or watching. This is Australian Clinical Labs ACL. Look, Daniel, a lot of people I've spoken to have been impressed with ACL and its ability to negotiate the end of the huge influx of COVID testing. And then we had it getting a little bit, a little bit, um, yeah, I guess, uh, well, was it greedy? What was it doing with, with Helios? What would you call it? And do you like the fact that it was gutsy enough to go for its bigger competitor? Or does that say something different to you altogether? Yeah, I probably would have called it a little bit cheeky. Um, and, and the reason why is that if you actually look at the history of this business and the asset it, it's acquired, and you look at the history of Helios, you know, these two assets have actually tried to be combined in the past before. So um, what I'd encourage anyone to do is is have a look up of primary healthcare, which is, you know, formerly, uh, which was Helios's former name. Uh, look up the primary healthcare acquisition of HealthScope. Um, and that will give you a lot of background context to, to, to some of the, the um, assets of the deal uh, that they propose. So essentially, um, many years ago, I think around 2015, Helios um, tried to uh, acquire HealthScope in a private deal and, and didn't inform the ACCC. And then the ACCC stepped in and said, uh, no, this serious uh, competition concerns. You have to sell pretty much all the assets that were acquired um, to a competitor in MedLab. And then ACL has actually uh, has acquired MedLab, so it's it's the combining they're wanting to combine assets that have already uh, faced uh, competition concerns and penalties in the past. So yeah, I probably thought it was very cheeky, very optimistic, uh, and overall, I think in the pathology pathology industry, it very much favours the market leader because it's a high. Um, fixed costs, fixed overhead business. So, you know, if you can get more volumes in the testing centers, that's when you get the leverage. So, yeah, I've always preferred uh, Sonic Healthcare to, to ACL and I'd still prefer it to this day. Francesco, ACL. Yes. Um, I'm not sure whether this acquisition's gone, gone ahead or not. I don't think it has. No. And um, the interesting part about that is that um, um, Helios went to the uh, regulator to yeah. try and block <laughs> or, or get a judgment on it, and they just said we don't need to look at it. Yeah. So, so um, it's sort of backfired a bit on on the old primary, which was is now Helios. Um, it's interesting because it's a nil premium takeover, which you don't see that very often. Um, 
Look, I, I think, you know, I'd have to have a closer look at what synergies are there, you know, um, on offer for, for the company. Um, and, and when there's a takeover, I, I tend to hold off on a, on a stock, whether it be the acquirer or um, the acquiree, uh, if you like, uh, to see sort of how it pans out. Because generally you have a, a stock that's being acquired and, and um, the acquirer puts in a, uh, a bid for it at a, at a premium to what it's trading at. So unless you're in the stock at the time, you, you, you missed out on the on the, the big you know, the big gains, if you like. Um, so I, I would tend to be sitting on the sidelines on this one a little bit. Um, we don't have a recommendation on um, um, uh, ACL um, and Helios. I think we're on a hold on that um, at the moment. Um, I'm with Daniel. I, I would prefer Sonic, um, but we're we're on the um, um, pathology and testing and, and and side of things. We're a bit apprehensive at the moment. So in the healthcare, we tend to be a bit more exposed to things like the res meds and mm-hmm. the and the CSLs um, uh, rather than you know. Ramsey and, and Sonic at this stage. Um, so we'd probably be held off a bit on that at the moment. So uh, if I owned um, ACL, I'd continue to hold because I think there could be some benefits for them out of the, if the acquisition goes ahead. Um, Helios if we're hold. Um, so yeah, I'd be neutral. Got it. Thank you. All right, guys, believe it or not, we are at the end of this hour. Francesco DeStratis from Wordnet, Daniel Ortiz from Lincoln Indicators. Before we say goodbye, let me run you through what we've learned. So Phoenix, it's a sell for Daniel. Um, look, Francesco doesn't know it, nor would he be in it. He agreed as well. Now, when we get to Hanson, it's a buy for both of my guests. They like this tech company. They see that there's further upside. They like how it's been managed. And perhaps now, after a sell-off in tech in general, you may be getting it at a good price. Calix, it's a no for Francesco. It's on the watch list for Daniel, but it's too early. There's too many unproven uh, angles to this business thus far. Just the wrong time of the cycle as well, in Daniel's view. Uh, Argo Investments, it's a sell. Just look at the 10-year performance for Daniel. Uh, Francesco says, look, if you've been in it for a long time, you can hold it. You're quite safe. But he would, again, just prefer an ETF if you're looking for a low cost way to gain exposure to a broad number of top stocks on the ASX. Uh, Sonic Health is a preferred uh, company in the pathology area for both of my guests. So that gives you a verdict on ACL in and of itself. All right, uh, guys, Daniel, thank you so much for joining us. That was good to have you here, particularly for some of those mining stocks that you know and love so well. We'll see you soon. And Francesco DeStratis, always a pleasure to have you sitting beside me, sir. Pleasure to be here, Thank you for joining us. (laughs) And we will take a very short break. On the other side of that, we'll get a market update. Peter McGuire from XM. It is a massive week. RBA, ECB, FOMC, and plenty more besides. I'll get you across it next. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.